0: My heart is bursting with joy this night because we can gather together in person in this room. And all evening I've been flashing back in my memories to the way we did Christmas Eve last year, pre-recording the service with this whole center aisle in the front lined with floating candles. And we flew a drone over it in an empty room to try to simulate the magic and the beauty of this night. And every time we flew the drone over, we blew out the candles it, it was a tricky night, but it and it was wonderful, but it is nothing compared to seeing your faces in the candlelight tonight. It is good to be together, and I'm so grateful to everyone from our elders and deacons to our musicians and our whole entire staff team for all their creativity and labor for making tonight's service possible. You know tonight's gospel story by heart. Shepherds tending their flocks, angels singing good news, magi traveling from afar with gifts fit for a king and not for a baby, a couple not yet ready for parenting and yet expecting, a wrinkled baby placed in a feed trough, its head on a bed of hay. You don't even need to hear it read. But what was that story actually pointing towards. Luke tells us that on that night, the glory of the Lord shone all around them. But does that glory still shine? Or was that kind of a one-time thing that God did a long time ago? If the glory of God still shines, where do we look to find it? Over the past year or so here at the church, we've been talking about what it means to live a life that is worth living. What makes for a rich and meaningful life? And really, another way of asking that question is, where does the glory shine? Is it in our work, in the place where we earn our livelihood? Or is it in our personal lives, the place where love and friendship unfolds with family and neighbors and classmates? Is it in community, the places where we engage within the broader society through political advocacy, or serving as a volunteer at the church, or reaching out into the broader community to make a difference through some kind of service in the world? Or maybe for some, it is in learning and wisdom where we grow and discover new insight. Or perhaps it is in devoting ourselves to something larger than ourselves, to being in touch with some divine presence. As we hear again the ancient story of the birth of Jesus, I'm wondering if God's glory shines any light on our real lives and on the world in which we live. In his book entitled Christmas, Donald Hines reminds us how elusive this glory can seem for we moderns. In 1865, just after the Civil War was concluded, black people in our nation believed that land reform was just around the corner. These former slaves who had lived for generations as Tenders of the crops and tillers of the soil owned by their masters believed now that genuine land reform would soon occur so that they could finally earn their own profits and build economic progress for their own families. And as Christmas approached that year, black people felt like they were on the verge of dramatic social change new life, the dramatic social change that they had seen when they read the Bible and heard about the year of Jubilee when God made things economically right. But then, just before Christmas, an American general was dispatched from Washington, D.C. with the news. Nothing is going to happen at Christmas. Do we believe that anything is going to happen at Christmas? Surely we too have gotten our hopes up before only to have them dashed. Surely we too have thought that hearts would soften and the evil and the injustice of our world would course correct. After the world summit on climate change, we thought that collectively we could protect our earth from further damage. After a classmate perished of suicide, we thought that we could reverse the trends of teen depression in our school. After the vaccine was released, we thought that we could rid the globe of this pandemic. After a black teen was shot during a routine traffic stop, we thought that finally the time had come where we could break through the systems of racism that plague us. After Aunt Susie went to rehab, we imagined a Christmas where addiction was not an uninvited intruder to wreck our annual holiday gathering. A few years ago, a friend of mine told me in hush whisper that she had been at her boyfriend's house when a small package arrived early in December. She saw the name on the box she recognized the size of the box and she whispered to me that she just knew in that box was a diamond engagement ring. After Christmas, she told me it was only pearls, no ring, no proposal, nothing happened. Do we believe that anything is going to happen at Christmas? Or is the glory of God? something that shone only a long time ago, and tonight we simply tell the old story. When I read again the story that Luke tells about Christmas, I noticed something that had not caught my eye before. I noticed that the glory of the Lord shone, not in the manger, but out in the field with the shepherds. Truly, the artists get it wrong on our Christmas cards. The angels don't appear over the stable where the baby Jesus is not crying. Instead, the glory of the Lord appears where those shepherds are out working the night shift. And then it is the shepherds who go with haste to tell Mary and Joseph that this baby of theirs is no ordinary baby. The Bible tells us nothing about angels hovering over the manger only that the shepherds hear a heavenly chorus while they're out working the glory of the lord it did not shine over the palace of the emperor that one named augustus who was staging an enrollment of all the world no the glory of the lord shone in the fields where some peasants were working at minimum wage jobs the glory of the lord descended to a place where you could smell the manure and smell the sweat on the cloaks of the guys who hadn't bathed for weeks. Luke seems to think that you and I might miss the glory of the Lord because we are looking in the wrong places. A couple of weeks ago, Dave and I were seated at a Christmas dinner with some friends here at the church, And another couple that recently joined the church, Craig and Anita Talley, were at our table, and they were telling us about the Christmas traditions that they had shared at their church in Joplin. They said every year on Christmas Day, they served maybe up to 700 meals for folks in the Joplin area who didn't have any place to go for Christmas. Some of them were homeless, and they came to church and sat around tables and dined with other people who had nowhere to go. And some of the folks they served were elderly or poor or lonely, but they had their own homes, and so they would deliver these meals. And Craig remembers that one year he carried the the turkey and the ham and the dressing, and he was going all around to different homes, and he showed up at the home of this one man who invited him in where he would set down the dinner, and he found this older man dressed in a white collar and, and a black tie and a jacket, all dressed up, and the man had set out a cardboard dinner table and set two placemats with silverware and napkins and glasses. And Craig looked at the meal, and and he had only brought one meal. And then he looked back at the man as if to say, you only ordered one meal. And the man said, oh, it's okay. It's okay. My wife passed away, but this was always our tradition. We went to church. And then we came home, and we shared a meal, and I'm keeping the tradition. Craig was stunned, and Craig was deeply moved, for in the face of this poor and humble man, he could see the glory of the Lord was shining. Maybe one reason we don't think it will happen at Christmas is because we look in the wrong places. We forget to look in the lowly places, the ordinary places, the vulnerable places. You see, Luke tells us that God was subtle. God was tender. God was born quietly in a barn, and the one born in the barn will die years later as a common criminal. God's glory left heaven, and it took up residence on earth Nothing happened. Nothing really happened. But a radical revolution was born. A generation after the birth of Jesus, the glory of the Lord shone around a man named Paul as he was on his way on the road to Damascus and his life was seized by the light of Christ. And Paul shared the good news of God's love far beyond the confines of his own culture and language and borders. The glory of the Lord, it shone in the Middle Ages when a disgruntled priest named Martin Luther challenged the corruption of the church and shaped a new movement that empowered ordinary people to claim their own sense of God's spiritual presence. The glory of the Lord shone in Charles Dickens when he wrote a play that challenged the ruling class in England to care for its poor. The glory of the Lord shone in Germany and France and Italy throughout World War II when ordinary neighbors reached out and risked their lives to save the lives of Jewish neighbors. The glory of the Lord shone in our land when Christians led a civil rights movement, many of them going to jail for the cause of freedom and justice. Is there any way for the glory of the Lord to shine on us? Will anything happen at Christmas? Is the energy and the radical love of God that was born in a previous era still being born in us. My colleague Amy Butler shared this story about Alan and Emily, both 21 years old art students in Brooklyn, New York. They met at a casual party, but Alan was smitten by Emily. Her eyes were like iridescent and he knew right away, that this was not just a thing. This was the thing. But a few months later, Emily was riding her bike to class when she was hit by a huge truck. Alan called her parents. They came from out of town. The three of them sat and kept vigil for weeks around Emily's bed. And several weeks passed before the doctors finally said, she's medically stable, but... She's completely non-responsive. Her parents Mm -hmm. agreed that she was probably not going to get any better anytime soon, and so they made plans to move Emily to a nursing home in their hometown. But Alan, he thought, there's still hope here. He insisted, she's in there, she just can't find a way out. And now Alan knew that Emily had some hearing deficit because even before the accident she wore some hearing aids and and he also knew that the doctors had decided that Emily had probably lost her vision in the accident and so in a desperate attempt he pulled out her arm and he traced the letters on there I love you and she immediately awoke and responded And then Alan went and got her hearing aids and he put them in her ear and he turned them on and all of a sudden she could hear Alan's voice and she said it was the joy of hearing his voice that brought her back at Christmas. God persists in loving us. God refuses to give up on us. God knows that inside every single one of us is a person who can't get out. We all have a hearing deficit. God keeps tracing the lines of love on us. God's glory keeps shining on us. Will anything happen to us at Christmas?